Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, please open them back up to John chapter 15. We'll actually be spending most of our time uh, in verses 12 through 17, but I wanted you to get a full context of what we're going to be talking about. We are finishing up our friendship series uh, today. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying it. We preached it back in October at the men's retreat, and um, many, many men walked away from that feeling challenged, impacted, and encouraged. And, we, and uh, I have had some close friends out of that really be impacted by this series. And so I hope uh, you've been impacted as well. Uh, and as we've been going through this series, if you're anything like myself, you've probably been doing a little bit of reflecting. You've probably been doing a little bit of reflecting on the current friendships you have, maybe how those friendships are going, maybe how they're not going. Maybe you've been reflecting on finding more friendships, godly, gospel-centered friendships. Maybe you've been reflecting on what more you can do in them to reflect the loving work of Christ. But as I was putting together this talk this week, and to be honest with you, I kind of did a restart on this one from the one I did in October because I was sick during that week, so I was not a big fan of how that one turned out. So I restarted. I was like, let's just anew go after this. And as I was working through this, I started reflecting not just simply on ways I can be a better friend. That's that's a given. That's always a given. I actually started thinking about all of my old friendships. You know those friendships where they know you better than anyone else. It's those friendships that have been through life with you. It's those friendships that speak truth to you when you're probably not ready to hear it. Maybe it's those old friendships where you're not as close as you once were. Maybe that's proximity or just life has gotten busy. But the moment that phone rings and you see their name, it's as if you just had the birthday party when you were seven. You just saw them yesterday. That's the kind of friendships I've been thinking about. I've been blessed to have three or four really close friends in my life really close friends that I would call old friends now. And I I was thinking, I was like, what makes them that? What makes them good old friends? Well, it's that they know you, that they have walked through life with you. My friends, the friends that I would call old friends, were with me when I had my first girlfriend in high school. And they were also with me when I had my first breakup in high school. They were with me when my parents divorced. They were with me when I moved out to Spokane. They were with me when my good old friend Cameron Harmon died. They were with me a month later when my dad died. You see, good friends, they impact you. They walk through life with you. They encourage you. They challenge you. When uh, many of you got an opportunity to meet a good old friend of mine, Cameron, who was the friend who died, When he came out here in about 2018, 2019, to spend two weeks with us, the first week just hanging out and the second week doing Camp Crush, because yes, he was crazy, we started introducing him to the Camp Crush team, and Hannah Hughes, Carrie's daughter, leans over to Camille and whispers in her ear, oh no. Camille goes, what? She goes, there's two Andrews in this world. (laughs) Good old friends, they impact you. They leave a mark on you. 
you reflect one another. So what makes these good, what makes these old friendships, what makes any friendship good? What makes it a true friendship? Well, today I'll argue that true friendship must and will reflect our friendship with Christ. True friendship must reflect our friendship with Christ. Now the reality is, I want to clarify something. Maybe through these, uh, this series, you felt a bit of pressure like, man, I can't do this with everybody. And that's true. We can't. We're going to have really, really close friends. We're going to have some friends that are more like acquaintances. That's okay. But there's going to be seasons where different friendships come in and out of our lives. And does every friendship you have, when they're true friendships, are they seasoned with the gospel? Are they seasoned? Do they reflect your friendship with Christ? And our text today is going to give us Four clear insights or points. We're going four points today. Bear with me. Four points of what a friendship with Christ looks like and therefore what our friendship with others look like. And here's what they are. I'll give them to you right now. True friendship is sacrificial, verses 12 through 14. True friendship elevates or honors one another, verse 15. True friendship is also candid with one another, 15 through 16. A, and then true friendship bears fruit, 16 through 17. True friendship is sacrificial, it's elevating, it's candid, and it bears fruit. Look with me at verses 12 through 14. It says this in chapter 15 of John. It says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus starts and ends this section of John 15 with this commandment that you love one another. Jump down to verse 17 with me. It says this, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So this whole section here is about loving one another and how we're to love one another. And how we're to love one another as Christ has loved us. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has given this commandment. In in, uh, chapter 13, verse 34, it says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. 1 John, which we also had read this morning, the whole thing is almost a blueprint for what this looks like amongst the body. And this section comes right out of the vine and the branches. Where are the branches? Jesus is saying the branches must love one another in the way that I have loved you. But what kind of love is this? What kind of love has Jesus shown the apostles that he is telling them to imitate, and therefore also telling us to imitate. Well, simply put, the love that he's shown them is a sacrificial love. This is why Jesus follows this command with saying, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down their life for their friends. Now, you could simply stop there and go, but Jesus hasn't died yet. He hasn't laid down his life yet for them. That hasn't happened, and and you would actually be right. In the timeline, that hasn't 
happened yet. But you can also conclude that actually Jesus' whole ministry has been that of sacrifice. His whole life, his whole existence here on earth could be summarized as sacrifice. Jesus, the king of the universe, the only son of God, the firstborn among many, comes into this world to save it and return it to the Father. Just, but his whole ministry, his whole life is sacrifice. Sorry, I lost my place for a second. So this is what Jesus means when he says he would lay down, that, that, that one would lay down their life for his friends. His whole life is devoted this way. He leaves the throne of heaven, as Philippians teaches. He leaves it, the one who knew riches, takes on poverty so those who are poor, us, can know the riches of eternity. He left it. He also says in Philippians, he laid it aside so we can know his riches with him forever. First step, sacrifice. Humbly lays down his life to be a servant. This is what Jesus means, that one would lay down his life for his friends. It's not merely his death, it's his whole life. His whole life is one of sacrifice to make us, his apostles, friends, disciples, friends. But what is even more powerful about Christ's sacrifice is that it's actually his death and his resurrection that makes his disciples, his apostles, us, his friends, who would believe in him and confess him as Savior. It is Christ laying down his life that actually makes us his friends. As one commentator points out, we kind of have a vague idea of what it would be like to die for our friends. We could imagine that, right? Your closest, best of friends, you would say you'd be willing to lay your life down for them. I even had a friend uh, who attended the men's retreat said that. He was like, I kind of always understood that. Like I thought, yeah, I'd be willing to do that. But actually, a commentator points out, he goes, but what if that death was planned? What if that death was actually to make enemies your friends? To bring someone dead to life? Look at what uh, Romans says in chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, leaving his throne, being born of the virgin, taking on flesh, becoming a servant, living that servant's life all the way up to his death, was to make all who believed in him friends, not enemies, but friends. Not because he needed a bunch of friends, not because he thought, you know what's a great way to make friends, I'll go die for him. But rather because we need his friendship. We are in need of him being our friend. Ephesians 2 says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Jesus teaches that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Friendship with Jesus is friendship with the life giver himself. We need this friendship with Jesus. We need him to die for us, to give us this life, to give us this life everlasting. That is what our true friend, our greatest friendship does for us. His sacrifice brings life. This is what our friendships with other brothers and sisters in the faith, and even non-believers, should be doing. Should be striving to bring life through a sacrificial type of relationship. You ever wonder how friendships can last? With how friendships can last till people are in their 70s or 80s? Lifelong friendships? Maybe I'm the only one. Because when I go out, a lot of times I go to a coffee shop or I go out to a restaurant, I love seeing who's with each other. If you ever go to a coffee shop on an early morning, you usually see a bunch of old guys together. This past week, I was out at Costco with my kids, and we were uh, waiting for our five-star Costco hot dogs to be called up. When I looked over, I saw this group of uh, gentlemen together, probably in their late 70s, early 80s. And it looked like they had been friends for a lifetime. Their friendship was palatable. You could see it. You could see the way they were talking to each other, bantering with each other. And you know what they were talking about. They were talking about Biden and Trump. Oh, yeah. And they were just talking, laughing, cutting it up. And I asked myself, I was thinking, as I was putting this together, it was literally this week, I said, you know how much sacrifice and understanding they have to have with each other for that friendship to last, for even the most hardest topics, the most divisive topics to be talked about, and they love each other. What greater opportunity do we have as brothers and sisters in the faith with our closest of friendships to show a sacrifice and a mercy and a grace to one another? That will not just last simply till we're in our 70s or 80s, but is a reflection of what will last for eternity. Because of the great friendship we have with Christ, because of his sacrifice for us that makes us his friends, does that sacrifice impact our friendships? Maybe what's called for us to sacrifice more for our friendships is our time. That's one I struggle giving up a lot. Maybe it's the generosity of possessions, the listening, giving a listening ear through tragedy, through hardships. Maybe it's the willingness to be wronged. Sacrifice comes in many ways, but if you've been made a friend in Christ due to his clear sacrifice on our behalf, we must then in return, not just simply in return, as we're going to see in a second, in obedience Love others in the way that he's loved us, especially our friends. And did you catch that when we were reading through it? Jesus calls us friends. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, that status change. He calls us his friends, but he also gives us a command. He remains our friend who's the king. He's the king of the universe. And still, he gives us, he calls us friends 
And he calls us to obey him. And our obedience to his command shows our friendship with Christ. It doesn't necessarily make us friends. Oh, I earned it. There it is. No, no, no. He made you friends. But our obedience shows our friendship, our obedience to his command. And what is his command? Simply, it's to love one another as he has loved us. And the clearest first point is it's sacrificial. True friendship reflects our truest friend, Christ Jesus, through loving, life-giving sacrifice. Jesus makes us his friends through his sacrifice, but not only does he make us his friends through his sacrifice towards us, does it make us his friends, but he also elevates his friends by being candid with them. Look at verses 15 through 16 with me. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. The next two points that friendship elevates and friendship is candid really go hand in hand. And we'll see why in a second. Through Jesus' life-giving work on the cross and his candidness with us, he makes us friends. It's a very honorable thing to be a friend of a king. Imagine if you were a friend with an earthly king. But even more so, it's a greater honor, and it's more of an elevating status to be called a friend of the king of the universe. And we have to wrap our minds around that. I think we have a hard time imagining that. So imagine for a second a celebrity of your choice or a, a powerful person of your choice that you can think of, and imagine they calling you friend. Imagine you're no longer just a follower on Instagram or follower on, you know, what is it, X now? Who's hip? Who can tell me that? Carrie was hip earlier, so. No longer you that, they're calling you friend. Not, even, not just Facebook friends, but friend. And what would make you their friend? What would take you from being a Swifty to Taylor's BFF? Right? I know, gag me. What would, what would it take, though? It would take them being honest with you, transparent with you, telling you things about themselves that most others never know. And imagine what would happen then for people who knew that about you. You would not only be elevated as a friend with that person you're thinking of, but you'd be elevated amongst them. They would go, whoa, really? You know them? Like, you know them. Now, times that by a million, if not more, what it is to be a friend, the king of the universe. You see, Jesus told the apostles that um, you're no longer a servant. And a servant or a slave, you can think of that word too back then, wasn't a slave like we think of in the American slave trade history, but someone who owed a debt. It was a service, like the lowest of society who was in maybe a lot of debt to someone, and they were their servant. They worked for them. They didn't know the master well. They did the lowest of deeds. They washed dirty feet. They fetched and did things. They were told to go here and go there. They didn't have a friendship with the master. But Jesus goes, that's not you. You are my friend. The question I had to wrestle with myself was, if Jesus elevates us 
in his eyes, through his sacrifice, from servant to friend, which is an honorable thing. Do we see our Christian friends, our brothers and sisters, as friends of the king of the universe? Do we see them as friends of our king? Do we see them as ones to be held in high regard because he does? Ray Ortland and Sam Albury in their book, You're Not Crazy, it's written for pastors, who are more often than not crazy, says this in their book, every single believer in Jesus is fascinating. It's fascinating. They continue by quoting C.S. Lewis. They say, C.S. Lewis points out that if we could see now how even the humblest of saints will be glorified in heaven, then we'd be tempted to fall down and worship them. Truly, they are the excellent ones. They are his friends. And in being friends, they are excellent ones. They are, the, they are fascinating because they are friends of the Most High King. They will rule and reign with their friend Jesus in eternity. When we truly see others as Christ's friends, we should do nothing other than build them up, encourage them, stir them up to reflect that friendship even more. This is something I'm not very good at. Brothers, I'm talking to men. I don't think this is a common thing that happens when we're together. I think, and at least I'll speak just for myself, banter and sarcasm sometimes has its place. But it can't reign as the primary tone we have with each other. It can feel very mechanical to encourage someone and build someone up doesn't feel organic. But like I always say, something organic usually starts with a steel shovel. You gotta work at it. Are we seeing each other's friends elevated by the Lord himself and built up and building them up to that, to reflect that? I would say a lot of the friendships that I've had with Ladies over the past are very good at that. Congratulations, but you're not off the hook. This is not just necessarily to women. Men do this too. But when our friends aren't present, do whispers take place? Does gossip take place? Because if we're willing to build people up when we're with them, but tear them down when we're not, Maybe we're not truly seeing them as friends of the Most High King. This isn't just men and women things. I think we all struggle with this at times because it's difficult. Because maybe we don't see ourselves as a friend of the King. And if we're a friend of the King, then we should love one another as he has loved us. Jesus, as being his friend, he elevates us changes our status from servant, from dead to enemy, to life, to friend. And in doing so, the way he does that 
is the way he speaks with us. He's candid with us. He says the truth. Throughout his ministry, Christ has been constantly directing the apostles and the crowds, those anyone who's been following or listening to him, to the Father. Jesus says to the apostles, you are my friends because I share with you everything the Father has shared with me. And what is he sharing with them? What has he shared with them? Well, I would say he simply shared with them why he was sent by the Father, what he came to do to redeem mankind, to go to the cross on their behalf. This is Christ's candidness on display. He has come to save mankind, that mankind is in need of redemption. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything he speaks is truth in life-giving. But his honesty sometimes can be hard to hear. It can hurt. It can be a punch to the gut. I mean, he calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, a brood of vipers. He tells Peter to get behind him Satan. And with Paul, he doesn't beat around the bush. He says, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, hey, Paul, could you check your schedule? I'd love to get coffee with you. And then I got some things I want to talk to you about. And then when he gets with him, he doesn't say, you're not going to like this. No. He's candid. He's honest. He's direct. He's careful about it. But in his candidness, in his honesty, in his directness, what does it produce? It produces life. It produces growth. It makes us see our need for him even more. And in his candidacy, he even ends this section by saying, you didn't choose me. You didn't make me your friend. I made you my friend. I chose you. You can't make me your friend. I choose you to become my friend. You don't get any more candid than that. And when you experience this, when you experience Christ's candidness or candidness with one another, it is actually life-giving. This is what Proverbs says about candidness. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Candidness can actually save your life. Rico Tice, the, the founder and, and director of Christianity Explored, tells a really funny but insightful story about a time where a friend was candid with him. He was uh, getting ready to, uh, he was at, I think he was in Australia, Carrie knows the story really well, but it was, he was in Australia, and it was really hot. It was a hot Australia day. And he sees this beautiful pool of water that's actually connected to the ocean, so it was going to be really cool and refreshing. And off to the side, there's a sign that warns about sharks. And Rico kind of goes, eh, whatever. We're fine. It's just someone maybe one time. So he gets ready, gets everything off, gets just down to his, his boxers. He's getting ready to jump in. His friend comes up to him and goes, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to go swimming. Aren't you hot? And his friend goes, listen, mate. That's all the Australian accent you can get from me. He says, listen, do you see the sign over here? you see what it says? And Rico goes, well, yeah, but it's fine. His friend looks at him dead serious, and he says, 
Let me ask you this. Is that sign there to ruin your day or save your life? Is that sign there to ruin your day or save your life? Candid, uh, Rico's still with us. <laughs> his friend's candidness, his honesty, his challenge to him saved his life. Christ's candidness, his words, are not here to rain on your parade and depress us. They're here to save our lives. Are we willing to speak truth to our friends? Are we willing to hear it? Because it may actually just save your life. My friend Cameron, who I referred to earlier, he spoke some candid words to me once. I was getting ready to back out of something. And uh, it was a commitment I had made over the summer with them, and we only had like three weeks left. We were leading a worship team. And my mom called me up for an event that she invited me to on a Sunday. I was like, well, let me just talk to Cameron and Austin, his twin brothers, also a good friend of mine. And I said, well, let me see if I can get out of this. Austin's like, sure, no problem, because he wanted to get out of it too. But my buddy Cameron, on the phone with me, he heard what I said. He goes, hey, man, I just want, want you to know, you made a commitment over this summer. Are you going to be true to your word or not? And from that point on, the rest of my life, whenever I'm thinking about backing out of something, and I, we all do that sometimes, right? That rings in my ears if he's standing right next to me. Because he challenged me. He was candid with me. He was honest with me. That's what Christ's words do to us. They're honest. We're in need of a Savior. We're in need of Him. We're in need of the Good Shepherd to lay down His life on our behalf. We're sinful. And we need His grace and mercy. Our candidness in our friendships must be done in a way to see growth in their lives in our lives. This is the fourth and final result of the impact our friendship with Christ must have on our friendship with others. True friendship produces growth, produces fruit. Look at verses 16 through 17 with me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. As we love one another as Christ has loved us, we will love each other sacrificially. We will love one another by elevating each other, honoring each other. We will love one another by being candid as he was with us, honest. We will love one another that bears fruit. Our friendship with him will lead to fruit being bared in our lives as Paul teaches in Galatians, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. This is what the Spirit does when it indwells in our lives. The fruit of Christ is produced. This is what Christ wants to see amongst his branches. Big, beautiful fruit trees. The reality is that not all branches are right next to each other. So the branches you're currently living life with, the friends you're currently walking through life with, and will walk through life with, are we striving to bear fruit 
in our lives with each other? Are you looking to see fruit growing and being produced in those of your closest friends? This is what the disciples were ultimately sent out to do by Christ, was to go and make disciples. They teach at the end of Matthew 28. Go to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, bearing fruit, seeing the teachings of Christ and the fruit of Christ all throughout the world. So we have to ask ourselves, in our friendships, do we want to see our friends be disciples of Jesus Christ who are bearing fruit? And again, I have to start with myself. This is not always at the forefront of my mind when I'm with my friends. I'm not constantly thinking about my friends bearing fruit in their marriages while they're single with their children. I'm not. Why is that? Because I'm probably not thinking about it in my own life. I'm not constantly thinking about fruit being produced in my life because of my friendship with Christ. So how do we do this? How do we strive to see fruit grow out of our friendship with Christ first, and then also fruit grow out of our friendships with others, other branches who are abiding in Christ? Well, this is why we had the first part of this passage read. John 15 says this, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This whole friendship series comes down to that. That to have true friendships that reflect our friendship with Christ, we must abide in him. And therefore, true friendship must reflect our friendship with Christ, our greatest friendship. And the only way this is done is by abiding in the one, Christ Jesus, who made the greatest sacrifice, who is the one who elevated us to the status of friendship, who speaks truth to us in love and produces the fruit in our lives that we can not to see true Christ-centered friendships, we must rest and find our friendship in the one who said this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we do not look to just muster up the strength to create these godly friendships, but we have it in you. If we abide in you and rest in you and love one another as you have loved us, then the world will see what great friendship we have with you because of the friendships we have with each other. Pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.